Welcome to the Misfit Stars podcast. I'm Shannon Curtis. And I'm Jamie Hill. Hello, listeners. Hi, Shannon. Hi, sweetie. It's nice to be here, people. Yeah. Uh, We're happy to have you with us. Later on in this episode, we are going to be picking back up yet again our discussion about individualism. And the angle that we're looking at this week is we're going to be talking about the idea of fitting in. Yeah. It's so fun, like to just feel each week how like this conversation develops and like there's new things that bubble to the surface in our mm-hmm. experience, stuff we've heard, stuff we've read that kind of ties into it. And so there was something that I read earlier this week that just seemed to be like, like this like red flashing light, like here's another bit about individualism you should explore. So yeah. we're going to do that. It's great. Yeah. First though, people, uh, and in very brief uh, this week, Misfit Stars is how our people support the work that we do. We would just love to invite you to be part of that group of people. Yeah. Please support our work, misfitstars.com slash support. That was was, uh, short and cute. It was felt. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, people know. People listen to this podcast. They know. They can support us. And we would be grateful for people to do so. I meant to say short and sweet, but I said short and cute. I'm not sure why my brain was like, eh. No, No, that's okay. You were thinking that the announcement was sort of like a second grader. Yeah, 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 exactly. Cute. Misfitstars.com slash support. Thanks, people. Thank you. Do you have any announcements, Shannon? (gasps) Announcements, announcements, announcements. Uh, We have a couple of announcements. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you want to take the first one? I would love to. Actually, go ahead. Yeah. We're going to be playing exactly one show this year, it looks like. Wow. And it's this Saturday. Wow. It is a little festival in Astoria, Oregon. And it's being put on by 94.9 The Bridge, a radio station there that has been playing, remarkably, some stuff off of 202101. Woohoo! They've been playing One Thread, uh, which is really cool. It is cool. And such an offbeat song, so neat that they would play it. Mm-hmm. But we're playing a festival for them uh, this Saturday. It's their inaugural festival. It's the first one they're ever doing. And they're doing it in a pandemic. They're doing it socially distanced with like 300 people max, I think, in like a big, huge field. Yeah. It just should be weird and awesome and very DIY. It's extremely our thing. It's so fun. I'm so, I'm really looking forward to it. I can't wait. So there's going to be a ticket link in the show notes. But I'll just tell you now, you can go to clatsupunitedway.org and you can find a ticketing link there. But I'll put the link in the show notes also. Uh, if, you're, if you're adjacent to the Pacific Northwest, please come and hang out with us. We would love to see you. It's oh literally our only chances here. Totally. <laughs> Shipwrecked Music Festival. Mm-hmm. Can't and if wait. you are there, I hope this goes without saying, but please come say hi. Oh my gosh. Don't just be like, yeah, I went to see you guys and I didn't say hi and now I'm messaging you on Facebook. Don't do that. That'd be rude. Come give us a <laughs> hug only if you're vaccinated. And masked. If you're not vaccinated and masked, just be like, hug from like 20 feet, yeah. okay? <laughs> We're not screwing around. <laughs> Shannon can't get this thing. She's a singer. Yeah. Uh, and you have an announcement. I do. So um, we are starting our second round, our second movie and second book pick for our Misfit Stars Anti-Racist Book and Movie Club. Heck yeah. I um, I intended to announce the second movie and the second book like a month ago, but life kind of happened in yep. there. So uh, it's, it's it was delayed a little bit, but I finally uh, put up the, the next movie pick and the next book pick mm-hmm. um, in our uh, in the social network, in the space. It's a private space within the private social network. <laughs> <laughs> it's the inner sanctum uh, it, it, for people who are in the Misfit Stars Anti-Racist Book and Movie Club. Uh, this, uh, in September... 
we are going to uh, by by the time the the Zoom discussion day rolls around, we're going to have watched and we're going to discuss on that day uh, the movie Thirteenth mm-hmm. by director Ava DuVernay, um, and then we're going to do. It's the- about uh, it's about how slavery kind of just continued with the advent of the 13th Amendment. It's going from slavery to a captive prison population. Yeah, yeah, it really the, the whole the whole film really talks about like the I, the the issue of mass incarceration yep. and how it has its history in the 13th Amendment. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, ending slavery, which it's going to be really a, a great film. I've, I've only heard great things about it. I've actually not seen this film, so I'm really looking forward to seeing it and obviously looking forward to discussing it with the group. The book that we're going to read, and we decided as a group um, after the last book discussion, we decided that discussing one book in one hour and a half long session on Zoom was too much. Too much. <laughs> like there's just too much like rich stuff in these books that like we just need to break it up over time. So what we're going to do what we decided as a group is to break up this book next book discussion over two months. So we'll discuss the first half of it in October mm-hmm. and the second half of it in November. But we're announcing the book now so that if you are a slow reader or it's hard for you to find time to read or whatever, you have plenty of time to get the book and start reading and get going on those things. But we're going to be reading uh, Ibram X. Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, which I know from discussing this with some people in the group, is a book that some of us have already read. I've already read it. Mm-hmm. Um, but people that I talked with in the group when we were discussing it, it just seems like this book uh, seems to be just such a, a foundational piece for this time. Like, it just seems like it's hard to have a conversation in the year 2021 about anti-racism without having the knowledge of Ibram Kendi's work. So I think that... I think that- for an anti-racist book and movie club, the word that you would look for to describe choosing this book would be obvious. Yeah, exactly. It's obvious that we would read this. I was shocked we didn't read it first. Well, you know, I'm really, I was really glad for the first book pick. It just seemed like it was introducing, we did the uh, You Are Your Best Thing, mm-hmm. thing excuse me, um, which was an anthology of stories about by black writers about their own personal experience and about engaging with the humanity of black people. And yeah. I, I really loved that we started with that, uh, that book, actually. It was an opportunity to engage with black humanity and that as it just felt like a it felt like the right starting place yeah. for this book club. Um this this how to be an anti-racist actually also has uh, an element in it that is very much very personal. It's not just a, it's not an academic book. I mean, there mm-hmm. there are some you know there are some some threads in there that really do come out of you know research and data read, and all that. But it reads almost more in some parts like an autobiography. Well, yeah. In fact, I think that even on Ibram Kendi's website, they refer to this book as a memoir. Yeah, makes so, sense because he talks a lot about his own personal experience in um, in, 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 in in overcoming his own racism. And I, I, that was one of the things I was just really struck by upon reading the book the first time through was just the level of bravery and vulnerability and humility that he presented uh, about himself mm-hmm. in the telling of this uh, uh, of, the, of these concepts. It was just, it was really a great model for how we can all approach this work within ourselves. And so I, I love that, that that sort of like engaging with humanity is a thread in this one as well. But also it just 
revolutionary, transformational ideas in this book too. And I, and there were several people in the group like my, myself who read it, loved it, and wanted to revisit it and also wanted an opportunity to actually discuss it with people because I didn't really get a chance to really talk about it with anyone. Right. I mean, I shared a lot with you. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I really like look forward to actually getting to have conversation with people around these ideas. So those are the next books. So you might be wondering, how do I get into this book and movie club? Great question. Uh, you have to be part of Misfit Stars, mm -hmm. first of all. So misfitstars.com slash join. Yep. Um, and then once you're in Misfit Stars, uh, then uh, you can just send one of us a, an email or a message in our social network saying, hey, I want to be part of the Anti-Racist Book and Movie Club. And then we'll send you an invitation into that space. Uh in that space is where you'll find the the dates and the the um, Zoom links for our discussions. And I've also uh, set up a bunch of resources for you about like where to watch the movie for free. <laughs> and uh, it's for free. You it's can just watch on YouTube. Yeah. And also um, uh, places, ideas for where you can get the book. So whether you plan to buy a copy, there's a link to a website where you can order it from a black-owned bookstore. Also, you can just get books from the library online for free because of the pandemic. It's one of the silver linings of COVID. Yeah, so there's, there's also a library link in there. So anyway... That's my announcement about the Anti-Racist Book and Movie Club. These, this movie and this book were, will take us through September, October, November. Like it's going to sort of like be the, the, the fall you know, experience in the Book and Movie Club. And I'm excited. It's nice. It's a good way to do it. Yeah, really good. Well, hey, thanks for that awesome announcement. And it is going to be so cool to delve into this stuff. So people, get, get yourself in there if you want to be in there. Yeah. MrStars.com slash join. So Shannon Curtis, how are you feeling today? <laughs> Multitudes. I feel multitudes. Is that a way to use that word? Can I no, say that? No, because it's a noun, and really, you would want an adjective there. I feel no. I feel a multitude of things. I feel. Ah, I, I feel multitudes. No. <laughs> no. Okay. No. Anyway, <laughs> that's like if there's a bunch of people and you're uh, gro groping all of them. Oh no. That would no. be I feel multitudes. Of feelings. I feel multitudes of feelings. I see. Okay. Uh, yeah. On the one hand. Uh, I feel um, I feel uh, good in. <laughs> I, love I know that. very deep preamble. You're like, I think the single word that would best express the depth of how I'm feeling is no. good. Well, it, it, this is hard. It's hard for me. It's hard for me as a person who like historically, like I haven't, I haven't been a person who's been able to like name my feelings for like most of my life. <laughs> Like yeah. really, this has only been a development for me in the last like decade and a half, and so um, sometimes it's sometimes it's harder, and I have to just think about it. And and honestly, the the word that came, the word that makes the most sense is good. Like I, on one level, I'm good. Like I'm not great, yeah, and I'm not only okay. <laughs> like I feel good on a sort of base level. Um, I've been doing this. Uh, morning exercise routine that's really making me feel good. Like mm -hmm. I really love the feeling I get after doing that of uh, just like, like I feel like, like my lungs are able to breathe a little bit deeper. Like I can take in more air and like that's just a good feeling and I love that feeling in my body. Mm -hmm. um, and also at the same time, I I feel like I'm on the edge of of worry but I'm not like falling over the edge into worry mm. 
And it's it's not about anything really specific. It's more just kind of like the world at large. Mm. I've had, I think, I think this is a this is an accumulation of feelings over the last week or so, maybe longer. I don't know. There's just a lot of a lot of heaviness in the world, and I'm feeling that, and I'm feeling really powerless in the face of it. You know, like. Just to name a few, there's obviously the pandemic and mm-hmm. the the surging Delta variant and all of the rising case numbers in our country and around the world and the fact that, you know, around the world, vaccinations are not available like they are in the United States. And so, like, I'm reading articles about how this is going to be with us for a long time because, like, just because United States gets vaccinated, and that's iffy, <laughs> depending mm-hmm. on where you are, just because, but it's a global pandemic. So, I mean, remember this thing, this thing all started in China and it's impacted us here. If a new variant develops in a country that has, you know, one or 2% vaccination rates because it's just, and it's just running rampant, a new variant that eventually like can outwit our vaccinations, we're in this- We're back to square of, one. Yeah. yeah. So the contemplating that is just like, it feels heavy to me, obviously. And also to be super clear, like the reason that the entire world isn't vaccinated is because it wouldn't be as profitable for Pfizer, et cetera, as tightly controlling who gets to buy and in what quantities this uh, this vaccine or so, who, who gets licenses to manufacture it more accurately. But yeah. it's just all capitalism. It's all just the worst possible incentives. You know, like- it's basically a choice between can the world be vaccinated against COVID or does the CEO of Moderna get to buy a new yacht? Right. It's so really, it's kind of that basic. That's another layer of heaviness that I <laughs> am, am tempted to carry right now. Um, I, you know, that I feel powerless against that kind of a force in the world. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's true, you are. So yeah. you're not crazy. No, I know, I know. But, uh, you know, but with the COVID stuff, you know, I feel... Also, obviously, you know, really badly for the people who, um, the vulnerable folks who like can't get vaccinated or kids who can't get vaccinated, who are getting sick. You know, I really feel badly for for those. I feel badly for our healthcare workers who are again overwhelmed with caring for sick patients. So there's that, there's, you know, the stuff with Afghanistan, you know, with with the, the Taliban so swiftly coming back into power there. And just trying to like work that through in my mind and just the, the you know, seeing the images of people, you know, racing to the Kabul airport to try to get on American military transport planes, cargo planes yeah. actually, to get out as refugees. Um, wow, that just, that feels heavy on my heart. Mm-hmm. The earthquake and the tropical storm in Haiti. Yeah. Holy moly. Like Haiti just, can't catch a break this last decade. Uh, apparently there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in Lebanon that I haven't even had a chance to like read about, like that just more human suffering there. Um, Climate change. I mean, I keep reading all these stories about fires, but the biggest fires ever in California growing even bigger. And like, I looked at a map yesterday or a satellite image rather Mm -hmm. of fires in in Northern California. It was just insane. The number of, of the amount of smoke and the number of like fire, you can see it like just the smoke rising into space from the Mm -hmm. state. And like, you know the heat waves, the smoke, the the you know effects of climate change that we're feeling at a rapid pace. 
I'm listing all these things and there are probably more, but like I have just, because I've, I've been feeling over the last bit of time, just like wave after wave after wave of these major, let's, I mean, the potential like <laughs> destruction of democracy that's happening in our own country mm-hmm. as we've got this rising authoritarian party that's trying to keep people from voting and and put in put laws in place to overturn elections in the future if they want to because their if their party doesn't win. I mean, like all these things. It's just it's been weighing on me. And I I I I want to stay up to date on these things. I want to know what's going on. But I have found myself having to like, okay, read that, checked it off, and now I'm gonna just try to focus on something else because it's felt like too much. Mm-hmm. It feels like too much. <sighs> Feels like it feels like a lot. So, like on one level, I'm good, mm-hmm. and on another another level, I have been keeping at bay, very tenuously, mm-hmm. this just like overwhelming anxiety about the state of the world and the suffering in it. Yeah. So that's where I'm at. <sighs> that's a lot. Yeah. 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 I mean, you I have, know, I know, I'm not the only one experiencing this. You I, have presented around the house for what it's worth over the last week. As being pretty cheerful. Yeah, because, yeah, it's a both and scenario. Like, I I do feel, like I said, I feel pretty good. Yeah. On some level. And then, but but there's this, like, background stuff that, Mm -hmm. like, is there, you know? And I have moments where I'm like, oh, boy. And and, and then there's moments where I'm like, okay, got to set this over here and move on with my day or my life or whatever and... Embrace the good feelings, you know. I, I, um, I've been as part of my morning uh, exercise routine. One of the things I'm doing, and it feels like a real treat to myself, actually, is I've been listening for the time that I'm doing my like aerobic exercise, my like walking fast. Um, I'm listening to uh, portions of a Brene Brown podcast. She did a a special series this summer with her sisters yeah. on the gifts of imperfection which is a book she wrote 10 years ago and it's the 10th anniversary of that book and they are going through the book together and sort of like talking about it. And one of the things that they talked about when I listened yesterday um, and, and all, the podcast is out. It's, it was out in like June and July. It's done. So you can go listen to it. I recommend listening to it. It's in her podcast, Unlocking Us, mm-hmm. which is where you'll find it. Because she has like three podcasts. Two. Yeah. yeah. She's got a leadership one called Dare to Lead and then Unlocking Us is more of the sort of one around her more personal work, you mm-hmm. know? Anyway, so the thing that, that I picked up from her, from the podcast yesterday was this idea that the, I, that, that joy, that we, the, any joy that we experience in our life is inextricably linked to gratitude. That mm-hmm. like from her research, she, I mean, she's, she's interviewed thousands and thousands and thousands of people on, on how they, how they live their lives and how open, how wholehearted they are in their lives, you know? And in her research, which is like, codified in like data, you know, codified is not really the right word, but like maybe it is. Uh, we'll yeah, go with she, it. She, she codes the data. That's, I mean, so the yes. Anyway, that one of the things that she's learned from the research is that people who report having high levels of joy in their life always, always, always also report having a gratitude practice mm-hmm. in their life. And it dawned on me yesterday that like, oh my gosh, if I'm having... If I'm having moments where I'm needing something in me to combat this worry or anxiety, mm-hmm. and 
I think that something like joy might combat that, you know, mm-hmm. or at least round off the edges or or at least be a presence in my life that makes that makes things more okay on balance, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that that's actually something that I can control. I can bring more joy into my life if I practice more gratitude. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, that's, that's one of the things that I've really, I've like, I've been figuring out ways to combat this thing. So I may present as being cheerful and I, and I am like, that's genuine, mm-hmm. but it's not accidental. Right? <laughs> like, like I'm working for that. <laughs> yeah, well, to be clear, I mean, like people who have a gratitude practice, you and I each do, it, like it's an active thing. Right. Right. It's not just like a passive kind of sitting back and thinking sometimes grateful thoughts. Or or and it's not waiting to feel grateful. No. It's not an it's not an attitude of gratitude. <laughs> you know, it is a it's a it's a choice yeah. to practice it. Like it's going looking for it. It's going and looking for the things to identify and name that I can be grateful for yeah. in this moment mm-hmm. in this day. Yeah. Yeah. I am part of a text thread of a bunch of sober guys. It's so good. That's great. And it is a specifically a gratitude text thread. That's, That's the point so of it. That's so great. And this buddy of mine, uh, a guy from a group I used to uh, go to religiously in Los Angeles mm-hmm. when we were living there. Um, super studs, shout out to super studs. Uh, he, I think, started it. He started it like, I don't know, right at the beginning of the pandemic. So it's been like a year and a half now. And I oh. think in his mind, he was like, this will go for a couple of weeks and it'll fizzle out. And it's going strong wow. 18 months later. That's and indeed, awesome. like we just added a new person like last week. Oh, cool. It's wonderful. Uh, and it's this really intentional thing where like you list five things. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of like the pattern that we all fell into. It's cool. like, I'm grateful today for, and you list five things, yeah. you know? And we don't all do it every day. It tends to be two, three times a week per person, it seems like, you know? Yeah. Or there'll be like little waves is how it tends to happen. Like it'll be kind of right. silent for a couple of days and all, there'll be a whole bunch of activity and it'll be silent for a couple of days. Well, and I bet that probably when somebody contributes their five, it encourages or reminds someone else to do theirs. Yeah. There's sort of a built-in accountability yeah, with the great. group. It's yeah. wonderful. It just sort of self-perpetuates in That's that way. great. Yeah, it's really nifty. But it, the point being, it's like this active practice thing, right? Yeah. Where like when you're prompted, in this case, by seeing a notification from somebody else doing theirs, it's yeah. like, oh yeah, I'm going to think of my five things. What am I grateful for? And like some days it's really easy and some days it's really kind of harder, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Like when you're feeling preoccupied about stuff and all the news is bad and you're yeah. working hard on what seems like, you know, just a temporarily intractable problem in whatever you're doing for work, yeah. you know? Uh, it can be hard, but that's when it's the most valuable to totally. do the practice. Yes. That's why it's called the practice. Yeah. Not the like shopping or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, the shopping. <laughs> I don't know. Just thinking of like some totally pleasurable, easy thing to do. I'm shopping for gratitude. <laughs> yeah. It's great. I just go spend money and now I'm grateful. Yeah. No, it's, it, it's practice. It's like piano practice or something. You know what I mean? Like it's not supposed to be easy. Yeah. Practice no. is hard if you do it right. Like if practice, if you're practicing something mm. and it isn't hard, you're mm. not doing it right. Mm. The point of practice is mm. to push past where you're comfortable mm-hmm. so you get better. Actually, if you only go to your comfort level, you're never going to improve. I kind of like the shopping metaphor, honestly, because like when I, on the days when it's harder for me mm-hmm. to identify stuff I'm grateful for, it's a little bit like shopping. Like, I, like I'm like walking through the mall of my life and looking in the windows for things that like, <laughs> do you know what it, does it make sense what I'm saying? Sort of, yes. <laughs> yeah. Like I have to like, sort of like do an inventory. Like, uh, okay, what's been going on? What do we have at the mall? What do we have at the mall that I can be grateful for today? Yeah. <laughs> 
for yeah. anybody under the age of like 30, a mall is a thing that we had when we were kids. <laughs> it's a collection of stores indoors. You can also eat there. Yeah. We've been watching Physical on Apple TV+. Oh Plus. It, it's a mall-centric, uh, in, in some parts. It is. Uh, TV show and holy shit. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Oh my gosh. Okay, so, Jamie. Yes. How are you feeling? Well, you know... Before we get to how I'm feeling, I've been thinking while you were talking, I think the word you were looking for is multifarious. You had multifarious feelings. Oh, when I was saying multitudes, I see. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's sort of related, right? It's got the multi thing, but multifarious. It's, uh, you know, composed of or okay. having many varying types. And I think okay. that describes your feelings. Great. Great. And that's it. Good. Yeah. It's just feeling vocab hour with Jamie. Yeah. How I'm feeling, you know... Like you, I've got some things I'm holding at the same time. Yeah. I'm generally good. This has been a much, much better week overall for me than like the three weeks prior. Mm. And I'm grateful for that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're still processing how we're doing about Scott, you know, and that is just going to be an ongoing project, but it has been much, much markedly less heavy over, mm. for me over this last week. And that's mm -hmm. been really good. Specifically mm -hmm. like the last maybe four or five days, I felt a shift mm. and I feel really good about that. Um, so there's that. It has just opened up room for me just to feel like less burdened in my life in general and just kind of like lighter of heart. And I'm mm. happy about that. Mm -hmm. I have been super productive, enjoying work, just getting back to doing studio work, finishing up the projects that I had on my plate. That's all going very well. And mm. I'm super happy about that. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, the news is just a shit show. Things are not going super well in our country or in the world. And mm. that is troubling uh, you know, because I am empathic like you in that way yeah. and it's hard not to take it on board and feel heavy about it. Yeah. Also, it's really good to understand what I can and can't control and I've been working hard at that this week, you know? Yeah. I can feel very shocked and sad about what's going on in Afghanistan. I can't do a goddamn thing about it. Actually, we signed up last night to be part of a local organization that's because one of the places that they're bringing refugees is to Seattle. Yeah, SeaTac, right up the street from us. Yeah. Not even to so, Seattle, to SeaTac. It's in between so, us and Seattle. Yeah. And so, I mean, I imagine some of the places they'll be bringing them is JBLM, which is in Tacoma because like there's mm -hmm. military planes that yep. are bringing some people. So there's, there's four places in the country that they're bringing folks. It's like Seattle, Tacoma, uh, DC, Maryland, Vir Northern Virginia, mm -hmm. Uh, Fort Worth mm -hmm. and there was maybe Houston was the, the last one actually. Mm -hmm. So we signed up. We Places found, that have big air bases. We signed up with this uh, organization that that is, I don't even know what we're going to be able to do yet, yeah. but we'll hopefully be given an opportunity to help in some small way, maybe set up an apartment for a family mm -hmm. or do some meal assistance. So mm -hmm. like, yeah, we can't do anything about the like the grand scheme of things, but like we've, learned about an opportunity to do something small that hopefully will make an impact in the lives of somebody. That's right. Locally. That's a good point. And so it's what we can do. We yeah. can't affect the whole big thing, but we can do a little part to help some of the people affected by the big thing right. that we can't control. Right. And that's good. Um, yeah, you know, to the topic of, you know, our ongoing processing, how we're feeling about Scott's passing. Yeah. Uh, I think that you and I each had something that we wanted to share on here. I know I did. Yeah, yeah, go, so go for I, it. I get this thing every day. I think I've mentioned this on here before. It's called the Rigpa Glimpse of the Day. It's mm -hmm. just a little Zogchen Buddhist thing yeah. in my email each day. Sometimes it's about meditation. Sometimes it's about non-meditation things. It's about 50-50 because -50, mm -hmm. meditation is obviously a big part of that practice. But the one uh, that I got last night felt so apropos. And here's what it says. 
Bereavement can force you to look at your life directly, compelling you to find a purpose in it where there may not have been one before. Mm. When suddenly you find yourself alone after the death of someone you love, it can feel as if you are being given a new life and are being asked, what will you do with this life? And Mm. why do you wish to continue living? Mm. My heartfelt advice to those in the depths of grief and despair after losing someone they dearly loved is to pray for help and strength and grace. Pray that you will survive and discover the richest possible meaning to the new life you now find yourself in. Mm. Be vulnerable and receptive. Be courageous and patient. Above all, look into your life to find ways of sharing your love more deeply with others now. Hmm. That's lovely. Isn't it? The thing I loved about it is the idea that Anytime there's a change like this in your life, mm. you know, it's, your life is new after that. Mm-hmm. It's a new life. It's mm-hmm. not the same one as was before. That is so true. Oh, my God. Right? And yeah. that was actually really helpful to me over the last, like, 12 hours and just kind of thinking, as I have constantly been, mm. through my evolving feelings about just, like, how have things changed since our friend took his life, right. you know? Right. And it's actually really helpful to, for me to think about it as kind of, like, there's two, there's two eras now. There's sort of pre-Scott's passing and post-Scott's passing. And post-Scott's passing, I can think of it as being a new life. Mm. And that's really nifty because it gives me like an opportunity thinking about his passing as sort of a turning point that could either be for bad or it can be for good. Mm. And why not have it be for good, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. I think it's so inspiring. Like be vulnerable and receptive. Be courageous and patient. And look to find ways of sharing your love more deeply with others. Mm-hmm. How great. Yeah. Why not use opportunities like this in our life as little inflection points to double down again on mm. like being more vulnerable and loving. Mm-hmm. That's great. I love that idea. I really resonate with the idea of it being a new life. Like mm-hmm. there's, there is a before and there's an after, for sure. And I love that encouragement to... to to identify that as a new life and decide what you want to make of it. Yeah. That's really cool. And you had something you wanted to share also, right? Yeah, so this is apropos of a personal song that I just finished this last week. Um, This personal song was one that um, I had intended to write a few weeks ago, and I had gotten the the notes from the family um, at the beginning of July, um, and I had intended to... I had read through their notes, and I had intended to sit down and write... Um, this song, begin writing this song the week that Scott died and I had to just put it on a shelf for a, few, a couple of weeks because it just I didn't have the emotional space to show up for this song, yeah. you know, in the way that I needed to. Um, but I finished it last week and um, the, the client loved it and I, I, was, really, I was really, really happy about that. Um, this was a, a, a case where the song I was writing was for a woman who passed away in December of last year uh, and the family... Is who engaged me to write the song for her mm-hmm. uh, that they're going to use as part of the celebration of life that they're doing for her in a couple of weeks. So cool. Yeah, really lovely. And so I got notes from several different family members about this woman, Katie, and um, I, I really felt like I got to know Katie. It was really, it was really kind of quite awesome, actually, mm-hmm. to spend some time with her um, through the eyes of her of her loved ones. How neat. But, she sounds like she was just a wonderful person. Yes. And one of the things that that her sister sent me was a poem. And the reason that her sister sent me this poem was because uh, this this poem was one that Katie herself regularly sent to friends mm-hmm. 
who had lost a loved one. So mm. like she would send a card, like a condolence card or something, and she would include this poem. This was like a habit of hers over many years mm. that she used to comfort her friends who had lost someone. How lovely. So her sister sent me this poem and I, you know, having needed to to dive back into their notes last week to write the song, reread the poem again after, you know, a month or more of having read it from reading it the first time. And it just struck me in a whole new way. And I just want to read it to you and then I'll tell you sort of like what struck me most about it or what, what I'm feeling about it. But the poem's called Death is Nothing at All by Henry Scott Holland. Death is nothing at all. It does not count. I have only slipped away into the next room. Nothing has happened. Everything remains exactly as it was. I am I and you are you. And the old life that we lived so fondly together is untouched, unchanged. Whatever we were to each other, that we are still. Call me by the old familiar name. Speak of me in the easy way which you always used. Put no difference into your tone. Mm. Wear no forced air of solemnity or sorrow. Laugh as we always laughed at the little jokes that we enjoyed together. Play, smile, think of me, pray for me. Let my name be ever the household word that it always was. Let it be spoken without an effort, without the ghost of a shadow upon it. Life means all that it ever meant. It is the same as it ever was. There is absolute and unbroken continuity. What is death but a negligible accident? Why should I be out of mind because I am out of sight? I am but waiting for you for an interval, somewhere very near, just around the corner. All is well. Nothing is hurt. Nothing is lost. One brief moment and all will be as it was before how we shall laugh at the trouble of parting when we meet again. Mm. The part that really spoke to me in this poem and which I um, have been trying to adopt into my behavior, my language, my life, is the part where where the writer talks about uh, using, using the deceased's name mm-hmm. without, what does he say? Let it be spoken without an effort, without the ghost of a shadow upon it. And I I realized that there had been moments over the last couple of weeks in which I found myself when sharing news with a new friend about, you know, we, that we had lost our friend Scott, or even in just talking with people who know who knew him or, you know, and just processing, that I found myself tempted to like put a pause before his name and say it with some with more gravity than than I was about to you know like mm-hmm. like that it needed that it needed more you know needed more pomp needed more solemnity yeah and i really loved the encouragement in this poem to just talk about our friend scott like just like he always was and to not have to wrap it in something that doesn't need to be there some with with a layer of 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 I don't know of I just, artifice really yeah right it just like it, I I felt free reading this I felt free reading this encouragement to be able to when I talk about Scott to just talk about Scott and like enjoy the memories enjoy the you know 
the 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 fun things that come to my mind when I think about him, the meaningful stuff, you know, that it doesn't that all those things can continue to be light and fun mm-hmm. and wonderful as they always were. That I don't have to shroud any of that in something that doesn't need to be there. The part I really liked, mm. I liked the part you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like the whole thing. The part that stuck out to me that really jumped out at me mm-hmm. was uh, when the writer, when the author says. I am still me and you are still you. Yeah. And basically like everything's fine. I'm still right here. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's a really nice way to think about it. I mean, Scott is still Scott. Yeah. You know, and, and I am still me mm-hmm. and it's okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gosh, grief is weird, <laughs> but it's, 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 it's really, it's good. It's good. It's been good to sort of uncover new layers of this as time goes on. I mm-hmm. imagine there will be lots more yeah. to uncover, but. That's the stuff that was happening for me this week. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Do you have good news? Should we fire up the good news machine? Let's do it. Oh my gosh, let's have some good news. All right, cool. I've got some. What do you have? So fingers, all of my fingers and toes cross when I say this, but (laughs) daily coronavirus cases have plateaued or in some cases begun to decline (sighs) in Missouri and Arkansas, and Nevada. And those are three places that have been particularly hot spots, right? Yes, absolutely. Just hit really, really hard with Delta. Mm -hmm. And you know, they saw in the UK, right, that there was a plateau and then a a decline. I think Uh maybe also in the Netherlands, if memory serves. Okay. So that can be kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. We've seen at least in a couple other countries, and now not every country is going to act the same. Mm -hmm. And not every place in a large country is going to act the same. Right. You know, there's lots of factors. I mean, the UK is a small country and that for sure participated in, you know, how it acted. And the same with the Netherlands, obviously. But, you know, it's possible that this thing might have a chance at just not continuing to, like, geometrically accelerate, Mm. which would be... Good. Mm-hmm. Which uh, I think the word I was looking for is exponentially. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's also math. It's just a different kind of math, really. Less shape-based. And so, yeah, fingers crossed about that. Uh, you know, we're obviously not going to be out of the woods with this. School is starting. That's just going to throw a wrench in the gears. But this is a good news machine, so let's focus on the good part, yeah. <laughs> which is that in those three very hard-hit states, cases are plateauing or declining, and let's just focus on that and put all our energy toward that actually being a trend and something that's rep in other places. Your words to the universe's ears. Mm-hmm. Yes. How about you? Um, my good news machine is is just really close to home, and that is that we had another record-setting heat wave last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was not as severe as they had expected it to be heat-wise because um, we had a ton of smoke in the air that was blocking the sun's UVs rays from actually heating things up as high as they thought it might go. Hell yeah. But we had poison air. So like it was one of those like scenarios where like, you know, we don't have air conditioning in our house. And so we air out our house by opening our windows. And at the end of the day, you know, when it starts to get cool outside, we like to throw open the windows and let the cool air in especially during a heat wave, that's what you're going to do. But when the AQI is in the dangerous zone, then you're just, then you've just got this dilemma. Like, do I air out the house so that I can like, uh, you know, sleep, sleep and not sweat all night long. Or uh, do I die of poisoning? Exactly. Yeah. It's just a terrible dilemma. It's hard. So that's over. And that's my good news because the smoke is gone. Mm-hmm. 
the heat is gone. I'm mm-hmm. actually wearing a hoodie right now. It's like 62 degrees in our house. It's it's kind of cold in our house. It's so great. Yeah, it's wonderful. I just absolutely love it. So that's my good news. That is such great news for me personally. I understand this is not global good news, but that's what I'm feeling. It's good hyper about. local good news. <laughs> yeah. I'm into that. Yeah. Sometimes you got to go local. Yeah, totally. Uh, so yes, this last week, what did we get into? I, Briefly, I, I've been rehearsing. That's all I've been doing, really, is rehearsing for this festival. I've been having a lot of fun doing that, mm-hmm. and I'm looking forward to it. How about I set, you? I set Shannon up with a little uh, like stage and PA in the basement, yep. and uh, I made her a bunch of backing tracks for the show, mm-hmm. and I did some sound design for her voice, and she's just been down there going nuts. Yeah. It's been sounding real good up here, and I've participated a couple of times. Mostly I'm kind of giving Shannon some space because part of what she has to rehearse is her moves. <laughs> and like I say that, like she's a six-year-old. You know how six-year-olds, like they'll come over to your house and they'll be like doing jump kicks out of nowhere just because it's important to have moves when you're six, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. Shannon's got to rehearse her moves. I've got jump kicks. No, I no. don't have jump kicks. No. No, it's more I, grown up, but seriously, like she's usually sort of piano bound, sitting yeah. behind a piano, yeah. which means she can move her head, she can move her torso and her neck expressively. Yeah. But everything else is kind of like locked into a certain position. But now she can do whatever she wants with her whole body because it's just her and we, and a microphone. We got her one of those really cool microphone stands that has like a trigger <laughs> that you just grab it and it can slide up and down. You don't have to like do a screw and then screw it back in. Yeah. So you can change the height of it, like kind of on the fly effortlessly which means that you can do all kinds of cool performance gestures with it you can make it longer and lean with it you can make it shorter and lean into it you can do fun stuff you can take the mic off the holder and now you're going handheld now you've got full mobility there's so many options well because there's so many options and I just and I'm not piano bound I just need to actually get used to what it feels like to not be bound and I didn't want to be downstairs because I thought you might feel self-conscious about doing moves and, tr- oh. and trying out moves if I'm down there. So I've just been giving you your Thank space. Thank you. No, it is, it's been really helpful to have my own space. Like, to- you know, the six-year-olds practice jump kicks probably like by themselves in the yard before they show them to me on the stoop. <laughs> you know what I mean? Probably. I'm saying this from personal experience. I have a six-year-old down the street. He's got moves. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Uh-huh. But he yeah. probably practices them in private before showing me. Maybe. And similarly, I'm just giving you a little space in the basement. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. But I'm going to go down and help you this afternoon with a little bit more sound design. It's going to be cool. We're just going to get the final little things sort of dialed in. And then we're going to do this show in like yeah. four days. It'll be really fun. Yeah. I have finished mixes for the trusty Sea Creatures record. Yay! It sounds so good. And people, I, I want just to explain briefly what this record is and what it means. Mm-hmm. So I, I mix records for bands a lot. That's kind of my job. It's what I do. Mm-hmm. But this one is really, really special uh, because this record was financed and made possible completely by the Misfit Stars community. Mm-hmm. So you know how at the beginning of every episode, I'm always like, I've got to let you know that you know Misfit Stars is a way for our people to support what we do. There's a lot of stuff that we do, and this is a huge part of it, mm-hmm. right? It's taking the support, the financial support that we get from our community of people who support what we do, and then me being able to, like, literally, I have spent a year and, like, four months Mm -hmm. working with this guy on this record. And because of the pandemic, we worked on the whole thing, each in our own separate homes, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, I, I... enabled him, like I coached him in purchasing gear and I taught him how to use Pro Tools, the the, the music software, mm-hmm. and I got him up to speed just over a period of, I mean, literally like 
a year in self-recording and self-producing at home. And I talked him through all the recording and production of the record. Yep. And then he would like, when we, when everything was as good as he could get on his end, I had all the pieces I needed there. I would take the sessions into our house mm-hmm. and I would add keyboard parts. And then I just went through all the process of just like editing and tuning and just fixing up stuff that needed to be fixed and just like making it be a record. Yeah. And this cost him zero dollars. Mm-hmm. And the reason it cost him zero dollars is because I, we're supported. I'm supported, you know, in my work to a certain degree every month by the recurring financial support of our Misfit Stars community. Yep. And this is what we do with that. Yep. We put records for other artists into the world that we feel need to be there because the world will be a better place once this record is out there. Oh, your world's going to be a better place, listener, when you hear this record. Like, I got to hear all the songs mm-hmm. yesterday as I was helping you kind of putting put them in an order for mm-hmm. listening. And I mean, I've heard all the songs over and over because I share a house with you, but like... Oh my gosh, they're so good. They're so good. There's so it it's 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 an example of one of those records that you're going to listen to and it's like, you know how like certain songs or certain turns of phrase paired with a certain melody just say exactly what your soul needs to say but hasn't figured out how to do it yet. Mm. Like there's so many moments like that on this record. Yeah. It's so good. It is so good. It's the whole thing just feels nostalgic. And it's really interesting. So I asked him about his songwriting process over the course of this working on this project together, you mm-hmm. know, uh, because so many of the, str- of the songs just get directly to a nostalgic place inside of me, mm-hmm. like that pairing of words and mm-hmm. melody and mm-hmm. turns of phrase that you're talking about, yeah. you know, just like bring me back to something or just make me f- have a certain very strong momentary emotion. Yeah. I asked him about that. Yeah. Like, cause there's certain songs that like just the lyrics that I can pick up are just, they feel really abstract and like, it's hard to like get what the story is. You I know? see. Mm-hmm. And I asked him about that. And he shared with me something so fascinating, which is that sometimes he just tries to write stuff that sounds nostalgic to him mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily have any rooting or grounding in anything specific and sometimes is not even connected to other parts of the song. Sometimes entire songs will just be based around the idea of a feeling and he's just writing stuff to get, like like the feeling itself is like this phantom circle in the center of all these different arrows pointing to it from different Mm, directions, mm -hmm. you know? You know what that sounds like to me? It sounds like the musical equivalent of impressionistic painting. Yeah. Like you're not, in impressionistic painting, the painter is not painting details of a specific thing, but, but rather choosing colors and palette and brush strokes that kind of like point toward an emotional center of something Mm -hmm. that the viewer then looks at and gets to have their own interpretation of and reaction to. Yeah. Based just on like the, the inferences of the colors and textures. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, it seems like that's kind of like the musical, what Johnny's doing is like the musical version of that. Like here's some phrases and some melodies that I'm not like explicitly saying, this is what this is about. You know, there's not an outline and Mm -hmm. like, you know, three three points to make your point and thesis statement and all that. It's more like, here's a little something here and here's a little something here and here's a little something here. And when you listen, you're going to have your interpretation of what it means you're going to have your reaction to what it feels like. 
You it's know a, what I mean? It's the best kind of art that meets the viewer halfway. I love that. And allows them to bring their experience to it also. Yeah. And therefore inform the, the sum of that process. Yeah, that's neat. It's really cool. So anyway, people, uh, this is just a very special record around this house because... Like when we did our sustainability fundraiser, you know, when we were reaching out into our community at the beginning of the pandemic saying, hey, we're going to need some ongoing support to weather this pandemic. Uh-huh. And side note, oh my God, was that true? Yeah. Like, and it's Still ongoing. True. This is the second year in a row we haven't been able to tour, but because of mm-hmm. the ongoing support of our community, we're getting by. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's really remarkable. But, you know, we had goals in that sort of that fundraiser, you know, or the bringing people on board for the ongoing monthly commitments. Mm-hmm. It wasn't exactly a fundraiser. It was like a you know, it was an, a it was campaign. A, it was a campaign, yeah. yeah. And we had different like levels of, of goals, you know, 50, 100, 150 supporters. And one of those was we're going to take an artist and we're going to do this. We're going to make a whole album for them. And oh my gosh, it, it couldn't have worked out better. Yeah. It's really special. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So uh, anyway, be on the lookout for that, people. It's going to come out in fall, I think. All right. We don't have an exact release date for it, but I imagine it'll be out relatively quickly. My guess would be September, October. Yeah. So, uh, and you have some news from this oh, week. Oh, it's just, it's brief. It's whatever. But it's cool. It's cool. I cut my own hair. <laughs> and like, it's pretty drastic. <laughs> uh, so a friend of ours who is Jamie's ex-girlfriend uh, is this awesome woman named Jane, Jane Matthews. She's a hairstylist and she has owned a salon in San Francisco for like 30 years. And she's gotten like super famous over the last number of years years for specifically for this like particular shag haircut that she gives. Mm -hmm. She's got a bajillion followers on Instagram. She's been written up in in the New York Times front page of the style section, New Yorker magazine. She's like the thing, right? When COVID hit, she had to pivot her business too because she couldn't have clients in the salon. So she started teaching clients one-on-one over Zoom how to cut their own hair like via Zoom and then realized over time that she was giving the same instructions to all different kinds of people with all different kinds of hair and textures and curl or straight or lengths and all that kind of stuff. And so she did a class, two classes actually, video classes that you can take online. And you can just like buy them and watch them. And she cuts her own hair in the classes <laughs> while teaching you how to cut your own hair. And but like from the perspective of someone cutting their own hair, because like if you think about like if you're cutting your own hair, it's like you're not... Like, you're not really necessarily even looking in a mirror. You might have a mirror, but also, like, you're looking at it in front of your eyes. So she's like, imagine the length of your nose and then look upwards. It's, like, really practical. Yeah, it really is. She's a great teacher. It was a lot of fun watching her. And then it was a lot of fun digging into my hair <laughs> with this razor and like, straight razor. Yeah, and and so it's it's really I just feel empowered. I feel excited about my hair in a while that I more than I have in a while. Like I, this is a very like surfacey kind of thing to be talking about, but it's really fun to have fun hair and to feel like I can keep it up myself. Well, and so. also, it's not like you're bragging about getting a $300 haircut. It's like yeah. you're bragging about <laughs> doing it yourself with a straight razor in the mirror. I know. That's cool. It is fun. It's okay to brag about DIY. Okay, great. Well, That's it's, good. It's DIY. It's DIY thanks to Jane. Thank you, Jane, my famous ex-girlfriend. What? It's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. wonderful. Yeah, she's done amazing stuff. We should take a short break yep. and then come back and get into our latest Latest revelations about individualism. Sounds great. Okay, let's do it. All right.
friends. So, uh, continuing on our, at this point, very wonderfully long form and ever-shifting discussion mm-hmm. about individualism. Mm-hmm. And how it can be harmful mm-hmm. to think in those terms. So, because we've been talking about this for weeks and weeks now, like my antennae are just up. And like anytime that I read something or experience something that relates, I'm like, oh, oh, there's another facet. And you read something this week. Yeah, so I mentioned earlier that I've been listening to that uh, that mini podcast series that Brene Brown's got on her Unlocking Us podcast about the gifts of imperfection. Mm-hmm. And so I'm listening to the podcast. I'm also rereading the book at the same time. Um, I, I read it several years ago and it's wonderful. And I can't recommend it enough. If you have not read Brene Brown's book, The Gifts of Imperfection, just do yourself a favor and order it and read through it. It's just really good. Yeah. Um, and also, it's like an approachable book. It's, it's not overly long. No, it's short, actually. Yeah. Um, and it's just... And it's conversational and it's cool. Uh, it's wonderful. And, like, and there's just so many... There's so many things I learned about this that I learned about myself when I first read it several years ago and now rereading it again. Like there's this whole new layer of like, oh yeah, you know, <laughs> really, just really good stuff. Um, but she's uh, in this particular section that I read uh, yesterday, there's, she's talking about um, the, the concepts of love and belonging mm-hmm. and that a deep sense of love and belonging is an irreducible need of all women, men, and children. Like we all need love and belonging. And she also talks Isn't about how- is irreducible such a wonderful word? Yeah. <laughs> um, and that, uh, so she goes on, we are, we are biologically, cognitively, physically, and spiritually wired to love, to be loved, and to belong. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we when those needs are not met, we don't function as we were meant to. Yeah. We break, we fall apart, we numb, we ache, we hurt others, we get sick. There yeah. are certainly other causes of illness, numbing and hurt, but the absence of love and belonging will always lead to suffering. Mm. And she talks about how like love and belonging are two things that are sort of inextric- inextricably connected to each other. Like mm-hmm. to have a sense of belonging, you also have to have a sense that you that you are loving and that you are loved. Yeah, not um, just loved but loving yeah totally like to have the opportunity to love Mm -hmm. man that's that for me it (laughs) it feels so rooted or it feels like it's the root of the basic idea of like the 12th step oh totally step programs Mm -hmm. the idea that to stay well within yourself you need to continually Mm -hmm. be of service Mm -hmm. and what better way to be of service than to be loving it's Mm -hmm. a it's a fundamental elemental human need to be loving towards others not just to be loved yeah totally she goes on to like break out the concepts of love and belonging separately and one of the things that she says about love is that love is not something we give or get it is something that we nurture and grow Mm. a connection that can only be cultivated between two people when it exists within each one of them we can only love others as much as we love ourselves Mm. ouch like that's that's a pretty deep concept but that's not even the point that I wanted to make or the, the main thing I wanted to read to you that spurred my thoughts yesterday. She breaks out the concept of belonging. And this is the stuff that really rang my bell in terms of our conversation about individualism. She says, um, belonging is the innate human desire to be part of something larger than us. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a conversation we recently had. Mm-hmm. Because this yearning is so primal, we often try to acquire it by fitting in 
and by seeking approval, which are not only hollow substitutes for belonging, but often barriers to it. Because true belonging only happens when we present our authentic, imperfect selves to the world. Our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. Okay, so here's the, <laughs> here's the thoughts I had when, and all the bells were ringing when I, when I read that yeah, yesterday. I got so many too. The first one was just to, let's just reiterate that idea that if we know that on a primal, we, like we, we know, each of us knows on a primal level, like it's encoded into our DNA like as a, a species. biological level. Yes. We know that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we have a built-in need to feel that. Like we've got an imperative (laughs) coded into our DNA to feel and be part of something bigger than ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like individualism is not encoded in our DNA. Being part of something bigger than ourselves is. Maybe to put it in a more specific way, individualism runs directly against the biological imperative that we have. Yes, Yes, when we are a social species, like that's that when I say encoded into our DNA, like that's like our 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 basic human survival mm-hmm. is dependent on and and has evolved to be, and this is why we still are this way, is dependent on our our relying on each other and being part of a larger system, larger than just ourselves. And that's what that means, by the way, people. When when you say that humans are a social species, it doesn't mean we're chatty. Yeah. <laughs> it means that we have evolved to function optimally in groups. Yes. Yes. Exactly. And that, that that's how that's how we've survived. Yeah. Is to function in groups. Yeah. Function, not dysfunction in groups, which mm. is like the norm mm. these days. So here's the next thought that I had with this idea of it being sort of this primal thing. And she talks about the idea of how we try to shortcut to that feeling by fitting in. Mm-hmm. Like we try to we try to make we try to to make a shortcut to belonging by seeking approval and fitting in. Oh totally. And as I thought about that I'm like, "Oh my gosh, when we do that, like when I have tried to or when I try <laughs> to fit in somewhere, I am separating myself from my self, from my capital S self. Remember last week when we were talking about Amanda's like capital S self? Yeah. Like, and here's what I mean by that. Like when I'm trying to fit in, I am denying my authentic self. Yeah. I am hiding part of that or cutting part of that away. Or like molding it to be something different than it is. Shape-shifting it in order to be whatever I think that this group might want me to be. And therefore, I'm showing up inauthentically. I'm not going to feel like I belong because if I feel like whatever I've presented to that group belongs, it's a false version of me. So I don't actually get the feeling of belonging, um, but I've separated myself from myself when I try to to do that fitting in or seeking approval, which was just like a, like a big light bulb moment for me. Oh, absolutely. And I relate to that so much. This made me think about when I was a kid. So when I was in my my early teens, like middle school age, like mm-hmm. 12, 13, 
we had a really big family trauma and mm. stuff got really ugly for me socially in my very small yeah. high school that I went to in rural Vermont. Yeah. And I felt, I was very ostracized. I felt very much like an outsider. It caused me a lot of angst, a lot of grief and a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. And what I learned how to do to fit in, mm. to get more accepted was to party. Ah. Because that was sort of the coin of the realm. And it turns out it is kind of in like <laughs> almost every social group worldwide. Yeah. That's, that's a problem, right? That's a huge problem. Because the, the, So the problem that it posed for me when I was a kid was the, the thing I learned how to do was to abuse alcohol and drugs. And then all of a sudden, all those right. same kids who were treating me like an asshole, all of a sudden thought I was cool. Right. Right? Because I would drink until I threw up. That's pretty cool. Hey, he's, well, he's all right, you know? But you knew that you weren't drink. you weren't, the thing that they were accepting and thought was cool was not really you. Oh, I didn't know that at the time. You didn't? No, I wasn't mature enough to know that okay. at the time. I was 15, 16 years old. Okay. My frontal lobe was still eight years away from being formed. I just thought that's who I was. Oh, I see. You know, because okay. I think that's what happens when okay. you're young. You don't know who you are, so you try different stuff on, and basically what you keep or reject is totally... For most people, I think, at that age, contingent upon what kind of feedback you get. Mm. If you get disapproving feedback, well, you sort of sideline that. And Mm. so, like, if that's the more vulnerable, authentic parts of yourself, but you're not getting good feedback for that, Mm -hmm. you suppress those. You know, I know I did in my case. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the stuff that you do get good, positive feedback for, in my case, drinking and partying, like, that's the stuff you elevate. But Mm. it all, when when I was that age, I was just like, it was coming from me. This is just who I am. Mm -hmm. I'm just finding out who I am. That's what I thought I was on, as a journey of who I was. Mm. I don't think in retrospect that that's accurate, but I didn't have the self-awareness or the cognitive ability at the time to parse it in that way, to frame it in that way. Yeah. 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 Did you come to a a point in your life where you realized this actually isn't me or that like, I don't know who I am. I've just been doing this thing that's not actually me. Yeah. So I was in my early Mm thirties and I got sober. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> no, and that's right. really, I, I, I figured out all of this stuff retrospectively. Yeah. I didn't have any kind of a yeah. come to Jesus in my mid-20s, you know, and then like there was never a moment of realization like, this isn't me. The realization I, I came to in my mid-20s was this is me and this is how I'm going to die. Mm. But it was the wrong realization. I was mm. just wrong. It was just in my mind the logical conclusion right. of this false thing that I had built myself into, right. you know, right. based on this sort of feedback loop because right. that's how I got positive feedback, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, my experience when I when I try to fit in is that I, I end up feeling and I didn't I didn't go down the path that you did to try to fit in, you know, when I was a kid or in my twenties by partying. I didn't do that. But there's lots of ways that I have attempted to fit in over the years. Mm-hmm. Um and the feeling for me always is has been Here's an example I can give, a, like a, 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 a hard example, mm-hmm. um, a concrete example okay. is what I mean to say. Sure. Um, when I first uh, started doing music, mm-hmm. like in the first, I don't know, first decade maybe of me doing music, maybe even a little bit more, like there, there was this idea that like, okay, well, I need to like do the kind of music and present the kind of image that I think people want from me in order to make this thing successful, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I spent a lot of time in lots of areas of my life, both from like, like spanning from like the kind of music I was writing, the style in which I was writing, um, but also like the image that I was trying to present to the world and like, 
um, you know, just trying to like, you know, gosh, this is really especially true in my 20s when I was in my rock band, like, you know, wearing the certain, these certain kinds of clothes because I thought that that's what I needed to wear, you know, wearing blonde hair and like, like trying to be whatever I thought was going to make me popular sure. as a musician. Um, and, and like, like you trying on different things to see, you know, what might work. I wasn't really like trying on identities for myself. Mm -hmm. I was trying on identities to try to, to try to fit in, to try to be successful Mm -hmm. and, and be popular. But I always in that, in that search, in that trying on period, I never felt satisfied. Mm -hmm. Like I never felt like I, ever arrived at something was like, oh yeah, this really feels like me because none of it was me. It was all me trying to be what I thought other people wanted me to be. And so it was always dissatisfying. It always made me feel more insecure Mm. than I had before. Right. And it was just this constant loop of feeling insecure, trying to trying something new to make myself feel more like I fit in and feeling more insecure. And I, Mm. I I didn't have like you, the, the mental capability to like unwrap, unpack that when I was in my twenties, but listening to Brene Brown's words here, I can look back on that and understand that what was happening was that I was seeking a sense of belonging, but not bringing my authentic self to the table and therefore feeling more isolated. Oh, absolutely. Like I didn't get the belonging I was after. I got more isolation. Yeah, like the opposite. Yeah. Oh, I get that totally. You know what's so interesting to me thinking about like the whole, like my journey and like it culminating in sobriety, you know, Mm -hmm. and realizing retrospectively in sobriety in the same way that you had a retrospective realization about yourself. I did too, you know. And thinking about this now, like it's so, it feels so fraught to me, so damaging that so many of our social, societal rather, our rituals are predicated around group drinking environments. Uh-huh. You know, like that's what you do when you show up at a party for most people. It's like you go get a drink to get comfortable so you can socialize. But if you think about it, like you're purposefully taking intoxicants which change who you are in that moment <laughs> to then be social. So the social connections that you're making are based on a false foundation. Right. Because you're not 100% you anymore. Even if you've just had a drink, you're a little bit drink the drink now, not yourself. Yeah. You know? And then think about what happens when you have like entire communities who build connections with one another over long periods of time mm-hmm. with that as a foundation. Mm-hmm. Like it just feels to me so tenuous. Like, those communities aren't necessarily like communities you can trust, you know, communities that you can fully lean into. And I think that like, I remember sort of intuitively feeling like Mm -hmm. that, like understanding that I had my bar friends, I had my drinking friends, Mm -hmm. I had my partying friends, Mm -hmm. but also that like there was a limit to how far I should let them in. Like, and I never really exactly understood why, but I think thinking back on it now, Mm -hmm. it's because I just sort of intuited this idea, maybe at this like genetic level, that for a society properly to work, for a community properly to work, it has to be based on authentically seeing one another. Mm -hmm. And when you are altered, Mm -hmm. you know, by taking an intoxicant, Mm -hmm. like you're not allowing other people to see your authentic self. You're purposely masking that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you are not having the experience of 
offering your authentic self either, which well, is that's what, that's what I was saying. Yes, yeah, so I'm like it's 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 an experience from both sides. There's the what people are seeing mm-hmm. in you, and there's also the feeling that you're having as you're allowing yourself to be seen. You right, know, like right. both both experiences are altered. Mm-hmm. You know, um, which but is being loving as well as being loved. Yeah, yeah. exactly, right. exactly. But you know, I was thinking about this, like this idea, like uh, this reinforcing a sense of isolation mm-hmm. you know that like when we when we try to shortcut to belonging by fitting in mm-hmm. like that that reinforcing thing that we do and we we continue to feel more isolated more isolated i think that that's the thing that can lead to this toxic individualism that we've been talking about right yeah. because like if you are feeling like you're in an isolated place well then you might start to convince yourself that like that that you've got to like pull yourself up by your bootstraps and like it's just up to you and like you really double down on that like individualism mm-hmm. attitude mm-hmm. and and i think that that leads to as we've been you know discussing over the last many episodes that individualistic attitude that i'm i'm here to look out for me i'm here to get me ahead i'm here to you know whatever that like you're you're all you're doing is struggling for power mm. This is like, this is like a, it's buying right into hierarchy. We've mm-hmm. been talking about hierarchy and all this, you know, as being uh, sort of, I, 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 I'm, I'm understanding that individualistic, toxic individualistic thinking mm-hmm. is a thing that keeps hierarchy in place. Yeah, for right? sure. Because we're each at a different place on the ladder and we're just trying to climb the ladder and it's just one at a time up the ladder or down the ladder and it's us against everybody else mm-hmm. on the ladder, you know? Um, and it, it just, honestly, it's just an unsustainable structure yeah. <laughs> for a society of uh, made up of, of a species that is genetically encoded to need belonging. Mm-hmm. Like we are working against our own biology. Yeah. <laughs> And, 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 and not to mention the the survival of our of our species. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like this 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 uh, attempt to fit in. Yeah, I mean, fitting in. If you think about it, it's literally like when you think about what those words mean. It's literally an exercise in hierarchy. It's like uh-huh. where into the social structure can I inject myself? Yes, totally. Yeah. Where and and how? What do I need to set aside? What of what of my authentic self do I need to set aside, in order to inject myself into that place in the hierarchy? I read this super super interesting uh, article. I want to say uh, it was maybe in the Guardian uh, over this last week, and I should have come prepared with. It. I didn't think about it till just now, ah. but uh, it was written by. Somebody, an older person, like a, a man in his 60s, okay. you know, not older, older, but like, you know, like a full grown adult about the age of Boris Johnson. And the reason, oh, yeah. and it was, he's like, I understand from having grown up in the public, in, in the, the private school system uh, in Britain, in Britain, what it, what kinds of people it turns out and how we ended up with people like Boris Johnson in charge of things. And mm. the basic premise of it was that you learn there, you're taught it explicitly and you also just learn by watching others what gets 
reinforced in a positive way and what you get ridiculed and mocked for. What you get ridiculed and mocked for in that environment is showing your vulnerable, true, authentic <laughs> self. And what you get rewarded for is behaviors that fit in with the other, that mm. uh, allow you to become a passionless uh, you know, technocrat, a, mm. a, a ruler uh, type. Like school, private school systems in the U U.S. as well as in the U.K. Mm. churn out, you know, heads of business, you right. know, C-suite types, executives, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. management types. And if you want to get ahead in that world, you, generally speaking, can't do so by being your authentic, vulnerable self. You have to indeed subsume your authentic, vulnerable self to just kind of be a faceless sort mm -hmm. of, I don't know, drone, really, mm -hmm. you know? And that's what, what this guy was saying is that, you know, the people who are the most effective in the system, the Boris Johnsons of the world, ha are, are basically sociopaths. Like, they have been mm -hmm. trained by the system be, to be sociopaths because they have, they have pushed their innate humanity so far down inside of them they have no actual means of accessing it anymore. And like we need for the leaders of our countries and the leaders of our businesses to be people of empathy. And you can't be a person of empathy no. if you are out of touch with your own authenticity and vulnerability. Like if you've like spent a lifetime pushing that stuff down yeah. and ignoring that part of yourself, you can't, you can't see people. Yeah. For who they are and yeah. what they need. And how can how on earth can you lead if you can't see people? Yeah. It's just it feels, appalling. It feels very backwards. It really does. But also I think, I mean, I'm not I'm not on my way to be like Prime Minister of Britain or anything. And most of us aren't, you know, but like in terms of the role we have to play in this society, I feel like these ideas reinforce it's like it's like more evidence for the case that we've been making <laughs> that doing our own internal work is an essential part of creating a just and peaceful world. Yeah. Like doing this like work on ourselves, this internal stuff where like, I mean, like she says here in the book, we can only love others as much as we love ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that, and at the beginning, at the end of this belonging passage, that uh, our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. You know, this internal work, loving ourselves, getting to a place of, of self-acceptance or having the tools to, to do self-acceptance over and over. It's not like a one and done thing. It's daily, right? Like, no. but, like, but doing that work and continuing to do that work is an essential part of being a part of a society that even has the ability to create justice and peace among itself. Yeah. Well, you know, like we were talking about with gratitude earlier, hmm. self-acceptance is also a daily practice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. And if we could normalize that societally, mm -hmm. this idea that you shouldn't train out of yourself the vulnerable parts, the human parts, the more tender, more delicate, more awkward parts, but rather that we should surface them. Yeah. That we should celebrate them. Yeah. We would be in such a better place societally mm -hmm. and, and, and as a species. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think it's important here too that like bringing, bringing my authentic self to 
others, you know? Like, I, I really appreciate the fact that Brene Brown uses the word here to bring our imp, our imperfect selves mm-hmm. to the table, you know? Well, I mean, this book is literally called The Gifts of Imperfection. <laughs> yeah. So there's that. And, and, and to, you know, her, what she, the, the gifts of imperfection is that basically, like, when, when, we, when we do bring our imperfect selves and show that to others, the gifts we receive by doing that are connection and authentic com- vulnerable connection yeah yeah so like and and compassion and courage those are the, those are the three gifts of imperfection mm. is that we get connection we get compassion and we get courage three c's it's really great but you know but i i think that this idea you know i know i do i have i struggle with the idea that like okay i'm going to bring my authentic self oh but that part's kind of ugly I don't know if I want to show that part because that shines a bad light on me, you know? Yeah. Like I have the temptation to like shave those things off. Well, that's just an act of trying to fit in then. I'm not actually bringing my authentic self and allowing, you know, others who want to love me just as I am to do so. It's not allowing me to love me just as I am. I guess that's probably more the point, right? Like I'm judging myself, you know, I'm thinking right now of um, of Ibram Kendi's book. Mm-hmm. We talked about that earlier with the anti-racist book and movie club. One of the things that's so powerful about his book is that he, a black man and scholar of racism and anti-racism, who's just deeply knowledgeable about this stuff, like knows everything there is to know and continues to study to learn more that there is to know yeah. about this topic... He approaches the writing of this book from a place of presenting his authentic self vulnerably and imperfect in the category of racism. He lets it, he lets the readers see his own racism, the ways in which he is imperfect or or has been imperfect Mm -hmm. in this on this particular topic. Well, what makes that so transformational is that you can see, oh, here's this guy who's so knowledgeable about this topic who's he, I mean, he's written this brilliant book and like he's done all the research. He knows what there is to know and he hasn't always gotten it right and yeah. still doesn't get it right all the time, is willing to admit that, okay, so maybe there's, maybe there's space for me to approach this too with an attitude of, okay, I don't have this figured out. I'm imperfect, but it's from that vulnerable, authentic place that you actually have the opportunity to learn and change. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you come hardened, if you come to the work with this idea that you've got to have all the pieces put together and figured out there's no flexibility in that there's no there's no room to be changed or taught yeah you can't you can't learn from that kind of position yeah it's that flexible read in the river yeah we can't and we can't we can't connect with each other without that either so i just i'm really just struck again by this idea that like doing our own internal work like actually working on our self-love and self-acceptance and all that that entails you know um there are so many of us that are struggling with those kinds of things for lots of different reasons and we and and the symptoms of those struggles are myriad yeah (laughs) you know the symptoms of those struggles are splashed across the headlines of our daily newspapers yeah yeah but like imagine a world where more of us are doing that work for self-love and self-acceptance and and that that work when we do it maybe it spurs the people around us to to do it you know and maybe that 
that kind of thing ripples out. And like, what if we had more leaders? Because I believe that there are some leaders in the world who do lead from a place of self-love and self-acceptance and therefore genuine empathy for mm-hmm. people and people's needs. Yep. But what if we had more leaders who led from that place? Like we really could have a different looking world. We w- All the stuff that I mentioned earlier that's been weighing on my mind, I think about every single one of those things. If we had more people in positions of leadership that were leading from a place of self-acceptance and self-love. More people in leadership who were trying to be loving as well as loved. Yeah, yeah. Things, things could be so different. Things can be so different. Yeah. Um, really depends what kind of values we choose as a body politic to lift up, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. It's a complicated, complicated topic, you know? Like the intersection of humanism and politics is sort of the defining question for our time mm-hmm. and probably for most times, really, mm-hmm. you know? Because it's so easy from a political perspective to prey upon people's fear, upon their lack of self-acceptance and upon Ugh, their idea. Scarcity. Of, yes, upon the idea that you should maybe just play it safe and not be vulnerable, Mm -hmm. but just harden yourself, try to be more of an individualist, try to rely less on other people and lift up people who, who underscore these worst impulses in us. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. that's the cycle that we keep seeing. Like we have Mm -hmm. these ongoing, what feel like nationwide moments of reckoning and then they just get pushed back under and we lift up more leaders who are hard-hearted and cynical, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it's probably because we hold fear in our own hearts. Sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's a root of a lot of this. Yeah. So what's the bow we tie around this this week? Is there one? I don't think there's a bow. There's not a bow. There's no bow. No. There's often not a bow. I think the bow is the idea that we should probably all be a bit more aware of the idea of self-acceptance as a daily practice, Mm. Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. with an eye on not just the benefits it can bring to our personal lives, but also the benefits that it can bring to our entire species. (laughs) Yeah, totally. You know? Totally. And that's like a little stone Mm. whose ripples can extend out infinitely. Yeah, I I think so. I really do. Anyway, as always, thanks to Brene Brown for such great ideas and a jumping off point for this conversation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love her. I would like to meet her one day. Mm -hmm. Yes, you would. That's my like dream of all dreams. It's like your apex goal. Oh man, yeah. She's my, she's my fave. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You all, thank you so much for listening today. Um, this is uh, this has been a good conversation. Thank you, Jamie. You too, Shannon. Good conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be back next week with who knows what, but probably something, uh, some, probably something related. Mm-hmm. As things have been going, that's that's maybe how it will continue to go. Yeah, maybe. Um, but no matter what, we'll be back next week. And uh, and until then, what do they need to know? Uh, we will put a link for you to buy your last minute tickets for the festival in the show notes, but you can just go to clatsupunitedway.org. Clatsup, that's a funny word. C-L-A-T-S-O-P. Kind of like how it sounds. Clatsupunitedway.org. 
You can find your tickets for this festival there. It's the only show, I think, probably that we're going to be playing all year, which is weird, but it's a weird year, so there you go. Yeah. So that's uh, takeaway number one. Takeaway number two is please support the work that we're doing. You can do so at misfitstars.com slash support. And we're grateful to you for doing that. Thank mm -hmm. you. That's all I've got. How about you? All right. That's it. Y'all uh, take good care of yourselves and be good to each other. Yeah. We love you guys. See you soon. See ya. Bye.